Joining me this week is someone who is recognised widely for their work in vocal jazz education and arranging. Michelle Weir founded an online school called Music Habit, pioneered an educational path for vocal improvisers through her app Scatability, and has authored several books on the topic of jazz. Michelle Weir, thank you for joining me today and welcome to the Singing Teachers Talk podcast. Thank you, Alexa. I'm so happy to be with you today and honoured to uh, be a guest on your podcast. Considering your backstory, how have you arrived at where you are today and why jazz in particular? Not to give you too long a story, but it did start for me back when I was a teenager. You know, I grew up in the um, in California, in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I was a lover of folk music, rock music. I was getting into some R&B music and so on. And I loved a singer named Joni Mitchell. And Joni was, I just had all her, all her albums at the time and, and sang along with them and played my guitar and sang Joni songs and so on. And then she recorded a couple of jazz songs. One was called Twisted and one was called Centerpiece. And that was, I always say, that was my gateway drug <laughs> into jazz. Um, I just, it just lit me up. I loved it. It was so interesting to me, so bluesy, so earthy, so creative and kind of stylized that I just started going that direction. And after that, I never, I never went back. I mean, I still love many different styles of music, but I spent a long life in jazz just based on that one sort of gateway um, artist. Where does jazz originate from and what historical context of jazz is helpful for us as teachers and for singers to know? Well, jazz has had, you know, a good history that's been over a century now. I'm no, I'm not really an historian. I'm not an expert, but I know, you know, I think I know the basics. It's a little bit like classical music history where there were different, you know, moments where there was the Renaissance and then the classical and then the romantic period and so on. We have the same thing in jazz and it started around the early 20th century, so early 1900s in New Orleans, which was what they called a melting pot of, of music. It, it, was, it was a combination of the, the slave trade that of bringing you know, you know, African-American people from Africa and the European musics in, with bands and, and so on that were sort of mixed together. And um, that started a new type of music that was born in kind of soulful creativity mixed with instrumental music, uh, mixed with uh, vocal soloists. And um, it sort of grew from there. Think of artists like Louis Armstrong, who was a trumpet player and a singer back then. Then it went through a new episode in the 30s where it became dance music, the big band era of... Benny Goodman, maybe you've heard of, and Count Basie Band, and, and so on. Then it went to, to cool, well, actually to bebop, which was uh, artists like Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie. That's where we started to get into the parent style of modern jazz. Um, and that's characterized by those fast, intricate lines. That, that's where that was born. And that was in the like 1940s and, and 50s. Then it changed courses. It went to cool jazz with an artist named Miles Davis, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, there's been a lot of different 
sort of styles of jazz over over those the decades of the last century. And I think that probably for anybody that's a jazz teacher, they're probably a jazz teacher because they're attracted to one of those musics, probably more contemporary jazz singing, or maybe singing from the 40s, 50s, 60s from Ella Fitzgerald, you know, the famous um, singers like Nat King Cole and so on. I think that regarding singers and and, and singing specifically, um, something important to note is that a large, large, large body of uh, the songs that we do are from what we call the jazz standard repertoire. And that is music that was from the 1920s and 1930s up to show tunes. Many, many Broadway tunes became jazz standards, of course. Um, and so on. And those are still done today. I mean, they're so prevalent that um, a a jazz teacher would need to be familiar with that repertoire. Um, A jazz teacher would want to be familiar with some of the classic artists, the Ella Fitzgeralds, the Nat King Coles, and um, Sarah Vaughan, Carmen McRae, Nancy Wilson, Mel Torme. There's a lot of sort of classic um, jazz singers that one should be familiar with. And the cool thing is they're all really, really different. Like it's not just one sound. It's not just one style. It's a very individualized type of expression, uh, musical expression. And that's really the sort of glowing, you know, notable aspect about jazz singing is that no two jazz singers are alike. And that's what we want is that for we want people to develop their own unique style. And to do that, we listen to a lot of different people, different artists, and we borrow from them. And we soak in what they do. And we we think about what is it that's so enticing about this? What's so thrilling about it? What moves me in this? And then little by little, we pick up the stylistic flavors and so on from those singers. There's a whole new world of more contemporary singers also that are paving new roads. And I would say as jazz singing, you know, uh, as more and more really young people are jazz singing, there's a little higher level of musicianship that's involved. So there's a high percentage of them that are songwriters or doing interesting musical combinations. Like there's a singer uh, named Gretchen Parlato who is using African rhythmic traditions and integrating it with her singing and her choice of songs and the music that she does and so on. There's a lot of new cool stuff going on. So it's not all Ella Fitzgerald era. There's um, some cutting edge stuff also. So what are the characteristics of jazz then and why are students attracted to it? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I don't always know why students are attracted to it, actually. Um, I know why I was attracted to it, but I'm not sure all the different reasons for different people. I think sometimes people are attracted to scat singing, which is really weird because... (laughs) You know, many, many people just don't like scat singing at all. And and it's actually can be more fun to do than to listen to. Yet I've traveled the world teaching for my whole career. And uh, there's people all over the world that just want to know, how do I scat sing? How do I scat sing? What do I need to do? I want to get better and I don't know how to get better. So it's an interesting thing. Um, I think that some people have just heard like like I did 
an artist who that just moved them. I mean, that's what music is all about, right? It's just connecting on an emotional level and hearing something that resonates to you and reaches your heart. And, and that's a really, really big aspect of jazz. It just comes in different packages. It's not always about a pretty voice. It's not about a well-trained, perfectly executed voice necessarily. Um, it reminds me of some artists from a long time ago, like uh, Bob Dylan or Tom Waits or people like that, that maybe have this kind of a sound in their voice, yet they were a super, super, super popular artist. You know, there's something in it that people love. So I think some people are attracted to the creativity involved in jazz because it is, by definition, a creative art form. We take a song and it's a little bit like a Picasso painting. <laughs> There's a, a, a picture of someone's face, right? Normal face. But Picasso will put the eyeball up here and then mouth is down here and the nose is crooked this way. And, and, but then Kandinsky would do it a different way and Rembrandt would do it a different way. And they're all good. And you can't say their technique is bad. It's just what it is. And the similar kind of thing happens in jazz. We take a song and um, we interpret. There may be minor differences in the interpretation, but there will be some. The tone quality can be different. The rhythmic feel can be different. The context can be different. We can take a song that's normally a heartfelt ballad and turn it into an upswing tune, something more exciting if the lyrics work in that context, or we could turn it into a Brazilian bossa nova, um, et cetera, et cetera. It's, there's a lot of freedom. It's exciting and it's really, really fun. And um, it's fun when people begin to trust that I can be myself and find a creative way to interpret this lyric, because that's the one sort of non-changing factor is the lyric. And, but we set the lyric in different, let's call it colors, different contexts. And that's part of the fun and the, the beauty of jazz. The great thing about functional voice training is that it's applicable regardless of style. But how much vocal technique do you actually look at in a jazz vocal lesson? And what technique would you be looking at there being in order to access a jazz voice that is stylistically authentic? Well, it, you know, it's a little bit like saying to Picasso, you know, did you practice with watercolors as part of your background? Well, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Does he need it to do what he does? Well, not not necessarily does Bob Dylan, and you're you're young, you probably don't even know who Bob Dylan is. Perhaps you do. I do, I do, I do know. Uh, only one or two songs, but yeah. <laughs> only one or two because I hate I hate listening to him actually but many 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 people do love love him for what he does people come to me I'm not a technique teacher like I I am but I'm not I mean I I'm on an as needed basis basically and it's usually needed to some extent but but not in the same kind of depth as we would do in some other styles for us we address at least for myself I would address technique when it's needed. If somebody can't sing with 
long notes on, you know, well-shaped and resonant vowels, it, it's a problem because they don't have control. They can't, they can't do what they probably want to do. If I hear them trying to do something and they're, they're tight or their chin is way out or they're not using their air or whatever it is, or the vowel, their vowel shapes are, you know, they, they just don't know how to shape the vowel and keep resonance and so on. Um, then yes, I, I will work on technique and many times we'll do warm-ups just to reinforce and call them warm-ups, but it's, you know, specific exercises for, for helping problems basically, you know, but other than that, there's so many other things we do in lessons too. So I, I couldn't say that there's like one type of technique or, you know, that most jazz teachers use. I would, I would say that technique is a a, a good technique is very beneficial and useful for every all singers. But in this case, it's not the primary thing. It's part of the big picture and what the singer is interested to accomplish. So if you were to write a checklist then, what's going to be on that list in terms of characteristics? How do we know we're listening to jazz? Mm, that's a good question. How do we know when we're hearing jazz? Um, I would say the first thing is the styles that you hear. So if we hear swing feel, swing is a rhythmic style, you know. So comparing it to pop and rock, because probably a lot of your listeners, you know, are, are, might be oriented that direction. You know, if we hear a... Okay, that's like an old style, 1960s or 70s, this heavy rock beat. If we hear a back to bat, you know, maybe we're hearing in a funky or a funky shuffle kind of groove. We have a set of grooves that we use in jazz commonly. And so the first indicator that it's a jazz interpretation is the groove that we're hearing. And singers have got to learn how to sing rhythmically and feel the pocket. And that actually is a big part of it. They also have to learn to put their lyrics in rhythm in a way that they sound conversational, which is so much easier said than done, especially in swing. Swing is, is you know, it's based on triplet, 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 triplet. And I always say there's a river of triplets going on underneath. Everything you do in swing is based on triplet, 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 triplet. So we have to learn to feel that. And it can be so, so hard for, for a lot of people if they haven't grown up hearing it. I would say also when, a, when we hear um, a recorded artist or a performance where someone is being improvisational with a melody, that's another telltale sign that it's jazz, a jazz interpretation um, because we have these jazz standard songs that tend to be done commonly. So many times we hear a song that we've heard before, Lullaby of Birdland or, you know, Georgia on my mind or whatever. There's, a, there's the autumn leaves. I mean, these are some of the superstar songs that have been done a hundred million times. And when we hear that, but then we hear someone interpret it a little differently by changing the phrasing, which is a big deal in jazz. Phrasing is a big deal. I think maybe it's a bigger deal in jazz than it is in other styles um, because it's one of our creative tools, the way we start a phrase late <laughs> or the way we 
spill into a phrase and then we keep going and actually end it ahead of time. And then we leave space at the end. Our, our use of space is very, very analogous to a poet who's reading a poem creatively. They may go ahead. They may lump together a few sentences, you know, putting them back to back to each other and allowing them to speed ahead. But then leaving a pot, you know, it's, it's really fun. It's really fun of the part, creative part of the process, putting those lyrics into an interesting phrasing context. So that's one of the creative aspects of it, feeling rhythm important, creative phrasing important and very jazz specific is a, is a very jazz specific thing. Also um, changing the notes, you know, the notes of the song go, ooh, 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 ooh. we change the notes um, to express the lyrics. It's all about expressing the lyrics. And ultimately it's about expressing the emotion behind the lyrics, right? Because the lyrics could be saying one thing, the lyrics might be saying, I love you, I love you. But the subtext is, I love you, but I'm leaving you. I can't be with you, you know? So, you know, then we say, I love you, but we say it in a certain way. And so we may choose notes that help me describe that subtext and the emotion of the subtext. Um, we, may, we choose rhythms, we choose phrasing based on that. Um, and then if it if it's, if it's a song that is really in rhythm, because we do have ballads, of course, also, then we choose our rhythms accordingly, too. And we, we also use articulation to a great degree. And when I say articulation, I'm just meaning, meaning accents and, and uh, what we call in jazz ghost notes, especially in scatting. And we could talk more about scatting as a separate topic. But um, when we dig into a line like this, I love you, but I'm going to have to leave you. You know, the more we dig in to certain word stresses, the more it says something's important here. I listen, you know, like I want you to hear this. Either you're, you're angry or you're excited or you're upset, uh, but it says that something important is going on. And conversely, if we don't have those heavy word stresses, then we relax the sound and the, the mood is I'm content, <laughs> I'm happy, maybe I'm in love, or maybe I wish I was in love, but you know, we have a gentle feeling. And, and so the, you know, it all comes down to word painting, word, word painting, you know, and it's, you know, you can, I think you, you might feel my excitement about it, because it's, it's a lot of fun to, to sing a song and word paint and make it your own. And you know, take the listener on an emotional journey. Definitely. Yeah. Can you help us to understand how we might be able to get into swing feel then? How do you help a student to really nail that? Yeah, that's a good question. Oddly, I do find a percentage of my students just have rhythm challenges in general. Like they kind of have, have trouble feeling steady beat. <laughs> Uh, you know, regularly and doing another activity while they're feeling steady beat. Because beat, steady beat has to be really internalized, right? So 
we do exercises and I have them physicalize things a lot. So we will walk in tempo, step, 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 step. And then we have a conversation. We are we're always looking for um, pulse and then the subdivision of the pulse. So pulse, 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 pulse is analogous to quarter note, quarter note, quarter note, quarter note. And the subdivision is the eighth note, which is where swing feel resides. One quarter note feels like triplets, triplet, 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 triplet. But we don't do the middle note. We go triplet, 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 triplet. So it's long, short, long, short, long, short, long, short. That's the mechanics of swing feel. Feeling of pulse, pulse, pulse with it with a secondary feeling of triplet, triplet, triplet. And I always tell people it's like a rolling wave, a rolling wave. It's legato. It's, so we, we keep our air moving through it. You know, then to, inter- I mean, that has to become totally, totally autopilot, right? So to make that happen, first of all, we listen to artists in swing feel and maybe we sing along with them. I will assign an eight-bar section or a sixteen-bar section to a uh, to a to a recording to sing along with and match exactly, trying to really exactly fall in line with how that singer interpreted the song. Um, and then we we step 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 in tempo while we're standing up, and maybe we move our hand like that to get the rolling wave feeling, and then we talk. Like I'll I'll say a sentence, I'll have them repeat it back to me. Like it's a beautiful day. Ten, three, four, it's a beautiful day. And we then we discuss some subtleties about it, and that is that we have the again the word stress areas. It's is a word stress syllable. You is another one, day. So it's do day. Two, a three, a four, it's a beautiful day. And the other notes glide. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful, so I'm, you know, maybe just I physicalize it. We conduct it sometimes. We try to step in tempo while we do a lot of work. So that becomes second nature. So now I'm stepping in tempo. I should be able to do anything, speak freely but step in tempo, talk in rhythm, but step in tempo, interpret my song in rhythm, but step in tempo so that it becomes sort of like somewhere in the back of your awareness, not your primary awareness. And you mentioned things like triplets and quarter notes and eighth notes and tempo. And your teaching often includes learning jazz piano basics too. So how does this help support the singer in embodying and understanding the style more? Yeah, great question. You're right. We do sometimes work on piano and we work on lead sheet writing. So we write our own charts in our key and so on because it's sort of normal it's it's ideal for and commonplace for the the contemporary vocal jazz musician to not be a singer per se but be a musician and also one of the main things that people come to me for is because i say that i speak singer and i speak musician <laughs> you know i speak both the languages because i'm a piano player and i arrange for vocal groups and orchestra and so on so uh 
it's comfortable to be able to speak the language and know what the terms mean and say, hey, let's do autumn leaves in starting on uh, F minor um, and we'll do it medium swing after the head. I'll scat half a chorus, then you come back in at the bridge and we'll do a tag at the end. You know, all of those terms are, are can be new for a lot of people. And um, everything about talking with the band and working with the band, telegraphing thing on things on stage, nonverbal communication, et cetera, et cetera, are things that are that drive singers crazy, jazz singers crazy because they don't know it. They're not always comfortable. They're like, I want to learn, you know, I want to be in the club. I want to know what all those things mean. I want to be a leader if it's my gig. I want to be leader of the band. So I want to be able to speak to them in the language that they understand and so on. So piano is like a gateway to understanding some of the the things about jazz that players talk about like intros and endings um, to know what a dominant seven chord is to know what a minor seven flat five chord is, 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 is like so comforting to a lot of our jazz singers because they can become functional. They can really function in, in a jazz uh, context. Plus it's really easy then a small stepping stone to go from knowing about chord types to being able to write their own chart and not have to hire somebody to do it and has skills to know where to locate those jazz standard songs, you know, and get, get it to, to learn, learn what key it's in and to be able to transpose it into their key, know a key they want and et cetera. Those are very common skills that my singers want to know. And then some people want to learn how to accompany themselves too you know, or someone else or teach. Some people want to learn to teach. So they come and we we do little basics at the piano. So they get functional jazz piano skills. And it's not hard for people that already play piano a little bit, classical piano or, or whatever. It's just a small step to begin to learn how to play jazz chords. And it's very helpful. Scatting. What is scatting and how do you help a singer to do it successfully? Well, it's a big topic. And as I started with early on, I said, you know, scatting can be more fun to do than to listen to. (laughs) Honestly, I don't like go out of my way to turn on people, um, recordings where people are scatting necessarily. But I appreciate it when it's, it's done well. First of all, let's, let's set the stage for it. Scatting is, um, sort of a more organic version of what instrumental jazz people do when they improvise. They're taking a set of chord changes, like based on a song, like the autumn leaves, which I keep mentioning because it's such a super, super common standard. And they're improvising based on the chord changes. Um, They're outlining notes that are within the chord and they're outlining scales that work in the chord and basically rewriting the song and making their own new song melody, you know, on the song. And that's what scatting is too, the same thing, making up their own melodies over a given chord progression, but they have syllables to, to make up also. And that's one of the most common questions I get is what syllables do I use? You know, you know, how do I know what syllables to use? Um, I did create an iOS app for it. I'm not trying to plug this app because it's actually, you know, 
I know, we'd plug away. <laughs> okay. Well, it's called Scatability. And I think this is the only iOS, I think it's the only scatting app there is, actually. But it's got, it's, um, it only has a certain amount of product. We sort of slowed down on it some years ago, but we hopefully we'll add more in the future. But but um, there are three three kind of products that can happen that happen in here just briefly. Um, first of all, there's an etude. This is an awesome singer here, Rosanna Eckert. An etude is an actual scat solo based on a song. So this scat solo, I'll just play a little teeny bit. It's based on when I fall in love. So you can hear a bit of it. Okay. So, you know, you, you practice it like that. You can stop it. You can loop. So you could take a section, you know, and just loop it. That is the etude. Here's a... So this is call and response. You listen and you sing. Anyway, and those, some of those are kind of difficult. And then there's exercises where you just listen and start singing along as soon as you learn the repetitive exercise. Now they go through a couple of keys, etc. And then the fun, the real fun part is this. You play it, then you can mute her, and now it's a backing track. Ah, cool. Really fun. And then you can also record. Record, record, record. Record, record, record. Over the backing track. Super fun, I think. So, and it, it's helpful. <laughs> yeah. So, we do the same things in our lessons, the same types of things. We do, uh, especially exercises. We might do um, syllables only at first. Uh, we try to get pairs of syllables. Ba do, ba do, ba do, ba. Or because we we want to have a lot of eighth notes. If somebody plays piano, I will actually have them play the notes like I'm doing and at the same time. Um, yeah, so we'll do like some call and response. I'll say, they'll repeat, um, and then we'll, we'll do exercises in different keys and, um, just like this, you know, or an etude, I have etudes written up that I give to people that are recorded and then they, they just sing it and learn it by rote, you know, and it's a lot like learning a language, you know, we learn how to say, you know, donde esta? El baño. Donde está el baño? Donde está? We have to feel it in the way the vowels and consonants are because it's basically a new language. Um, and we have to use the authentic accent of that language, which in this case is actually American English. We have a, for example, if we have a hard T, water, 
as in, you know, proper British English, perhaps. You, <laughs> well, yeah. it depends where you come from. Some people might say water. <laughs> yeah, right. too. So, yeah, it depends on, on, on that. So, um, but even that, then you would probably need to adjust to Americanize it. So it sounds like a regular American accent because the syllables are based on that. We have ghost notes, which are the N sounds. They're, they're voiced consonants that, that we throw in there sometimes for articulation. So we'll have articulated notes, but, 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 and we'll have ghost notes that are sort of just pitch, but no vowel. N, O, ba, doodle. And all of those are little flavors of rhythm, and they're exactly uh, analogous to instrumentalists, what instrumentalists do. Yeah. So how does somebody get good at that in, in such a way that they could just get up on the mic and improvise? That's a good, good question. Uh, well, every first of all, everyone's universally nervous about it <laughs> at first because it's like anything. If you don't know how to do it, you're afraid of looking bad and sounding bad. So, uh, first of all, we get some experience under our under our belt where they feel like, okay, I think I could use this or some other backing track and improvise and make up a little song melody and by the way i might use i might use repetition just like in regular songs like um you know the key aspect of that is it's one little fragment that is repeated and then you know expanded or varied and that's basically how we approach scatting too. We in we make a, an idea clear as a bell, and we use it as our basis. And we repeat it, repeat it, expand it. Then we go on to a new idea, repeat it, repeat it, expand it. And so in that, there is some level of structure, so people can begin to feel comfortable. Like, oh, okay, I see. I make an idea, then I build a little story out of it, etc. So you know, once people start to get that feeling of, okay, I think I can do this. Actually, one other level we haven't talked about it is hearing the chord progression. Because, you know. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on there. So that's where the backing tracks come in very helpful, simply through repetition. Some people with a, with a good natural ear can begin to like do notes that fit on the chord changes. And otherwise we have specific exercises we can do, especially hearing the roots of the chords and singing on the bass note of the, every chord that really helps a singer get oriented toward hearing the context of the chord progression. After all that, the real best stepping stone to being to be to being confident enough to perform scatting is to have jam sessions i love putting student singers together um, if possible and having them use a backing track and they sing the melody to the tune they may take turns one person sings the first eight bars 
somebody sings the next eight bars, et cetera. Then one person scats for a whole chorus, which means one time through the song. The next person scats for a chorus, one time through the song. Then maybe they trade fours, four bars phrases, you know, they sing the melody again. And that process is super, super helpful. When I go out in the world and I, and I ask students when I do workshops wherever I am and they say, they ask me, or sorry, I ask them, how often do you scat and improvise with a backing track? Many times they say, oh, never. We just do the exercises. That is woefully incomplete practice then because I'm always telling people, practice whatever you're practicing, syllables, rhythm, melody, uh, hearing the changes, you know, and then go use it. It's like learn, learn the mechanics of how to ride the bicycle, then ride the bicycle. <laughs> um, it's important to do that. You know, jazz always gives me a hankering for either a glass of champagne or a cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. the cup of tea is not doing the doing the trick for me right now. But yeah, it, it just has that vibe for me. Yeah, yeah. I think I hear what you're saying. I know what you mean. It's often um, commercially portrayed as the beautiful woman with an evening gown on, you know, next to the piano kind of thing, right? And and it has, I always was attracted to that sophistication also, actually. Not exactly that image, but I was attracted to that. I kind of, this is not true or false. I'm just saying I was attracted to the idea that you've got to be kind of sophisticated uh, musically to do it and do it well, um, that it's more than just having a natural gift of a pretty voice and being able to open your mouth and sing. You have to hear the changes. You have to understand styles. You know, you have to be creative and be confident to change, be, be, be living in a creative framework at all times when you're scatting or when you're in, when you're singing jazz at all, you know, entirely. Um, and, and that was always very attractive to me too. So maybe that's part of what's interesting. You, I don't know. So what is the role of emotion and storytelling in jazz then? Yeah, it's so important. It's so, I, personally, I feel like in all music, whether it be, classical Luciano Pavarotti somebody you know um, or musical theater country music uh, pop music uh, R&B music styles to me it's all about communicating emotion so in a sense yes we could say it's about the lyrics but really the lyrics are a way of getting at the emotion and I'm always um, when I'm coaching singers on songs with lyrics, I'm, I'm always saying, yeah, the lyrics are one thing, but what's the emotion behind the lyric? Can it choose these different interpretations of the, of the lyrics? It's, there's different colors of sad. Well, how sad are you? Are you like, you know, suicidal? <laughs> or are you, you know, are you like a little bit blue? Or are you so upset? Or are you angry, sad? Or are you, I feel I'm going to give up now because I, I just don't have the heart because I'm so sad. You know, there's so many different ways. And so we can take the lyric and paint, paint it different 
colors. And, and I do think in the end, that's what we're going for is to help the audience feel something. So it's all about, I think that's true for all music though, whether it's, you know, who knows, you know, just anybody, any artist, any genre. I think it's about that to bring the listener on a journey, allow them, entice them to trust you, to listen to you and to allow you to help them feel something. And then when you do that, you're a great musician. That's why, that's why Bob Dylan is, is okay being Bob Dylan, you know, and, and Billie Holiday, the jazz singer who doesn't really have a beautiful singing voice, but people loved her. She feels something. So. What would you say is a big misconception about jazz? I think sometimes people that haven't really delved very deeply into jazz and maybe don't know too much about it, I would say they might think it's light and frivolous. They might think, oh, it's just fun music. Or, you know, especially scatting, because it does sound terrible if if someone doesn't have some expertise, you know, it can sound pretty, pretty, pretty silly with those syllables, you know. Um, but I think sometimes people that don't know much about it just think it's frivolous and they, they don't realize the depth of soulful communication that can be involved in jazz, the depth of the layers of musicality of great jazz singers, how well their ear is tuned to hearing the way complex chord changes happen and to being not only vocally capable to use their voice to be spot on. Some, a lot of jazz singers really are good technique t- technicians. I mean, listen to Ella. She's singing in tune in all parts of her range at any tempo, in any style, and making you feel like you're six years old again, rolling through a joyful field or something. You know, she makes you feel good uh, while she's doing it. And um, so I think some people just don't realize that the intelligence, the musical intelligence really that can be involved in jazz. By the same token, I should say, I think a lot of jazz singers have great, great, great success with zero study (laughs) and zero technique practice and zero cognitive understanding. You know, they're just, they've heard it. Maybe they grew up with it. Maybe their parents listened and they are, they're kind of a natural. I'm sure the same kind of thing is similar with pop, you know, stuff and stuff too you may want to refine some technique for sure but you know they already from from the starting gate they're kind of a natural we we have that in jazz also what does it take to be a confident voice teacher in this particular style like anything you have to feel like you've you you understand the style first of all you know what the aesthetic is what is the aesthetic all about i mean Maybe some people would be a little more oriented toward the performance side of jazz, but I'm, I'm not. To me, the performance is important, and we practice a lot of times with microphone in the room, especially when a concert's coming up or if a recording is coming up, we practice on my Pro Tools setting, you know, in my, my back room. So we practice singing, you know, uh, uh, 
into into Pro Tools, you know, and making recordings, demo recordings or CD recordings, you know, and practice getting getting you know using the headphones and all that. So I mean, I guess you can't really teach anything you don't know about. So you just have to learn and become confident in the styles and and uh, understand what's important about it and methods to help people. I think in the realm of teaching music no matter what the teaching is, whether it's teaching someone to play guitar or teaching someone, you know, piano or singing or whatever, there are people that don't really know how to get them there. And it's maybe because they haven't thought it through enough and help them understand um, the types of challenges individuals can have. For example, I talked about some people have challenges with rhythm and some people have challenges um, they might be good with rhythm as a thing, but they can't sing with it. Like they go to sing and it's hard for them to like do two things at the same time, feel the rhythm while they're also singing in rhythm. And so, you know, finding strategies is such a big thing. I've just done it so many years. I think I've found a few strategies that, seem to be helpful, you know, but um, I would encourage uh, any teacher to just scheme on what can I do here? You know, first, you know, it's all teaching is about diagnosis, what's going on here and what needs to happen to help this person and strategy for how to help them. I think none of us have a very good excuse now to not go learn how to do whatever we want to learn how to do. Because we have the internet and now we have AI also. <laughs> so, right. We can learn anything. Right. So we, it, we should go do our homework and, and just watch other people doing YouTubes and stuff and figure out, you know, what are people talking about? How are they teaching? What do I think is important? What's my particular style? What am I good at doing with a student? How do I best relate with different student personalities to get them help helping them and to feel like they're on a path they get, they know what the path is and they do feel better after they walk that path and then take them to the next level after that. Your online school music habit is a great resource. What other materials would you recommend us checking out to learn more about, about performing jazz? Okay. Um, yeah. Thank you for mentioning music habit. I think scatability for the scatting, of course, also the app. Um, there are a few pedagogues that have done some really, really good stuff um, and have books and CDs for practice along with the books. Judy Nemack is one person. Uh, I think it's N-E-I-M-A-C-K, Judy Nemack. I'm sure they're on Amazon and CDs come with the books, as I said. She lives, I think, in Europe right now. I think she's in Germany, but she teaches regularly in Spain and stuff also. And um, so she's she's European, she, but she's American born, but she lives in Europe. Um, Bob Stoloff has got some good books also. A lot of them are very um, oriented toward rhythm and syllables and scatting. As a matter of fact, I think I think all his materials are have to do with scatting, um, and they have recordings that go along with them too. And then Darman Meter is a singer with a group called New York Voices, and he's like one of our greatest living scat singers. He's an awesome person, and that I love that group, New York Voices, and he has a book, Darman D A R M O N. 
Meader, M-E-A-D-E-R. You'll find it easily. Uh, go to his website, probably is the best, best way to go, darmanmeter.com. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. There's P. I think the other thing is um, myself and others do workshops. And those, I think, can be really, really helpful. It's, it's a shot in the arm of learning how to either teach and or do, you know, jazz singing. Michelle, it's been so great chatting with you. Where can listeners find out more about you and get in touch? Oh, thank you, Alexa. Um, so uh, I I have an, a website, an old website. I'm, I'm going to redo it, I think, here pretty soon. But that's michellewear.com. Yeah, then Michelle has one L M I C A G L E W E I R. But I'm moving most everything over to the Music Habit umbrella. So we do have a few classes up there now. There, there are classes you can buy. Um, and then uh, I'm putting all my workshops there shortly also. I've started to, to, to move that way, but I'm going to start doing workshops regularly, one or two a month. Um, so that you can go look at musichabit.com. I should say there's a free area there too called the practice room where there are free materials for practicing and learning about stuff. So uh, I'll be adding to that more all the time also. Great. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. So nice to meet you and nice to speak with you and, and wishing you the luck with the, with the, with the best um, organization. Join the Singing Teachers Talk podcast. And who are we kidding? Of course you are. Share the love by giving us a <clears throat> five-star rating and leaving a comment. Just head to the Singing Teachers Talk main page on the Apple Podcast app and scroll to the bottom to click Write a Review.